Amen. Praise God. It's good to be in his house. Isn't it good to be together? It's good to be in the Lord's presence, and I just thank him so much that he is so faithful to us, isn't he? Amen. Can I get anyone to say amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, I just want to get right into what I have here. I was doing some deep meditation and some deep thinking, um, and I, I came to this. I wrote down a little paragraph, and it said this. Uh, years from now, I'll have an even fuller understanding of God than I do today. But at this moment in my life, I've come to this understanding. There is no such thing as random. There is no such thing as chance. There are no coincidences. God allows us, I'm going to say that again, God allows us to experience more than I think he should sometimes, but through every one of our experiences, there is an opportunity to know him more, to know without a doubt that he was involved in our stories, and there's a way for God to receive glory and for our lives to be fulfilled. I know that as I grow older, I know the Lord to this place, and we grow more and more, and we come to an even fuller understanding. But I want you to know this today, that God is working in your life. I want you to say that out loud. God is working in my life. I came up with a second paragraph of questions. I'm just going to read them to you. Why did Abraham get called out from a land with an inheritance and a name to an unknown land? We partially know the answer because it was a step towards uh, being a separated people in the land of Israel. But a second question, why did, as soon as he go to the new land that God was going to show him, why did the land have a drought as soon as he got there after being obedient? Why did Joseph have to suffer so much to be the deliverer of his family? Why did the Israelites have to wait 400 years to be freed from slavery and enter into the promised land? Why did every prophet who was obedient to God have so much resistance? Why did God allow Jeremiah to be put in a well left to die? Why did Jesus calm the wind and the waves with a simple command? Then the same Jesus tells Peter essentially to keep his eyes on him even though there's still wind and waves. I read a quote, you're either going into a storm, you're in it already, or you're on your way out. That's life. Why did God allow Paul to be shipwrecked and left adrift in the sea for days? We can read in Acts that Paul finally washes up on shore on a strange island. And on that very island that seemed so random and out of whack, and probably very uncomfortable for Paul, the entire island receives a miracle. Who knows the story? I read another quote. We can complain because rose bushes have thorns, or we can rejoice because thorns have roses. Isn't that amazing? I felt from the Lord, you're wasting precious breath asking why, why, why? 
The pessimist complains about the wind, the optimist expects it to change, and the realist adjusts his sails. I'm going to read that again. The pessimist complains about the wind, the optimist expects it to change, the realist adjusts his sails. It says in Proverbs 20, verse 24, that the Lord directs our steps. I love how the NLT translates this. It says, Proverbs 20, verse 24, the Lord directs our steps, so why try to understand everything along the way? It says in Proverbs 16, 9, we make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. It doesn't matter what you did or someone else did. It doesn't matter if it was an act of nature or pure evil targeting you. What does matter is this. You ready? God is faithful. He is in control. He can take nothing. You realize the Bible says he took nothing and created everything that we know and see. He forgives. He is gracious. And even if you are innocent like Esther and Mordecai or Daniel in the lion's den, God is up to something and it's good. He can do the impossible. He can turn any situation around. He can use any circumstance to bring himself glory and our freedom. God allowed slavery. God allowed droughts. God allowed loss. God has allowed theft. God's allowed mistreatment. But if you read to the end of every single Bible story, and some of those stories take time to get to the ending, what you will find in every single one is that God is faithful and he completes every single promise. Jesus was promised for thousands of years, and it could have looked like God had abandoned his people, but one day there he was standing in front of those who are willing to receive him. I want you to say this out loud together because we all know it. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. They may not look promising sometimes. It may even seem like it's going to be the opposite of okay. But in fact, God is putting something together and it will be used for good. Wow. I just preached to myself. I feel encouraged. I do. I really do. I feel like the Lord is speaking today. Sometimes you're trying to gather the heart of God as a pastor. Sometimes it's easy just to open the word and it's all truth. It's all life. But I want to know what is your heart? What are you trying to say in this exact moment? And sometimes I don't get too bogged down with trying to figure all that out and get frustrated. And I just bring his word, and I let him speak in ways I don't understand. And then people say, hey, you said this, and I was touched. And I'm thinking, I don't even remember saying that. And other times, I really feel like I want to know your heart. I want to bring your heart. I want to experience it while I'm preaching it. And I feel like the Lord really 
uh, encouraged me with that, that he is speaking. And in fact, the word that he gave me, coincidentally, and, and that's going to sound funny, is the word providence. Because the word providence is not a coincidence. The word providence means this. It's the protective care of God. Or God providing protective or spiritual care. Some synonyms we use in, the, in, in providence is things like fate or destiny or kismet. These are some of the things that we say in the world, serendipity. But really what is happening is that God is moving and shaping and doing things in and amongst our lives at every moment, at every breath. And I've told you many times before of how things have to line up so incredibly perfect for his will to come to pass. They say that if the moon moves, you know, just a tiny bit away from us or a tiny bit closer, right, we would have the seas doing all kinds of crazy things, right? Who's ever heard that before? Everything is placed perfectly. The sun shines on the moon, giving us light for night. And during the day, it gives us heat. It gives us light. It even gives you vitamin D. I know we're putting sunblock on to protect ourselves from too much sun, but there's even vitamins coming from those rays. God has placed everything in perfection. And we could look and get frustrated, and we could say, Lord, what is going on in my story? What is going on in this situation? And I don't understand. And we can simultaneously say, Lord, your word is filled with stories just like that. In fact, every single Bible story, every single Bible character, both Old Testament and New Testament, has tremendous stories of what looks like hopeless wanderings, and yet God is with them. God is with you here in this room as well. He is with us. I was thinking of this word providence, and actually uh, it was through a customer who I was speaking to, and uh, the customer is a a historian now, and uh, he said some things about the nation, and I said, you know, it's obvious that God was with this nation in our history. And he said the word, he said, you know, they didn't really, Washington, for instance, didn't use the word God sometimes in his writings, but he used the word providence. Now, his, his example may have been to take God out. I don't know what his purpose was, but it made me look and say, wait a second, you know, Lord, you have shown me providence before. Providence doesn't take away from God. All that does is, is tell of you. When we hear the word providence, it really says that God was in control. I read this about George Washington, who loved the word providence. This history says that when he was only 22 years old, he was uh, fighting in the French and Indian War. And what happened is, is the, war, the battle's over. During the battle, he literally is shot so many times that two horses, they shoot the horse out from under him, and he gets on another horse, 
and they shot a second horse out from under him. When it was over, he looks at his coat, and his coat has four bullet holes in it. The hat on his head was shot off of his head. So let's just get a picture of this. He literally was shot above, he was shot below, and he was shot all around. And yet, he was not shot. 22 years old was not his time to die. Now, what I don't want to do is advocate you being a, um, a no-fear, uh, what's the word, a, and a, a thrill-seeker that thinks I can just go jump off a cliff because I'm a believer and God's got his providence over me. That is absolutely not what I'm trying to say. God had a plan and a purpose for Washington, and he was walking in his plan. And when you do that, all right, let me be clear again. When you walk in the plan of God, God's protection, his blessing, his angels, his blood is over you. And when your time comes, your time comes. And he knew that. So Washington was so confident in that that he would ride 30 yards away. That's just from me to that back wall. From bullets flying. And they would just fly around him. And he was never shot. I did a little more research. Washington contracted, 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 I don't know, something like that. Sound funny coming out of my mouth. He contracted nine different diseases that could have killed him, including tuberculosis, dysentery, pneumonia, malaria, and smallpox, and survived all of them. And yet, wait a second, we're missing something here. He experienced all of them. And this is what I want to talk about today. He survived all of them, but he experienced all of them. In fact, I read something very interesting about when he was dealing with dysentery, which is basically, you know, a nice word of saying really bad diarrhea. It's so bad, though, that everything hurts. And so what they did, it hurts so bad that history says that he couldn't even ride on the horse with so much discomfort. So you know what they did? They put a pillow under him sitting on the horse to give him comfort. But do you know what history says? You know what happened? Out of his pain and misery, misery, it forced Washington to sit even taller on his horse. Isn't that incredible? Now, I'm sure in heaven it's easy for him to be like, yeah, I did that. That was awesome. You know, God was with me. But during that, I doubt he was so excited about it. But what you can see is that God was doing something in an even, even during a horrible situation. Through such a hard time and going through stuff, sometimes we wonder where is God and we think that God is going to somehow make us bypass every single obstacle in life, and it's just not true. I don't read it in my Bible, and I have not experienced it. I have experienced him bypassing some things. Who can testify? The Lord has helped you bypass even many things. Anybody in here can testify. But who has gone through things as well and seen God's grace and mercy and protection to get you through it? Sometimes he takes you around, and I am so thankful. I say that with real joy for the times that I just say, wow, Lord, you bypassed that. That could have been really bad. 
And other times I have to say, Lord, give me the grace, give me the strength to go through it, to deal with it. Because this is it. We're in it. I'm not giving up now. I'm not quitting now. This is what Washington wrote later in his life. He wrote, The miraculous care of providence protected me beyond all human expectations. I'm going to say that again. The miraculous care of providence protected me beyond all human expectations. It means humanly, he shouldn't have made it pretty much in every situation he lived through, and yet God was with him for a purpose. Amen. There was a man by the name of Roger Williams, and he's the one that established uh, really Rhode Island, but specifically Providence, Rhode Island. And the reason that he named it that is when he founded it in 1636, he said that it was God's merciful providence that he believed was responsible for revealing such a haven for him and his followers. And I did a little research into his story. Basically, he decided uh, after they had already left, after the uh, Puritans had left, he decided after the fact to follow in their footsteps that I need to break away from the Church of England. I'm realizing what they realized, and we don't want to be under government control telling us what and how to do and how to worship. He could see the corruption, so he went to go seek for a better... uh, way and freedom to worship. That was his pursuit. And when he got here, there was a whole bunch of infighting, right? Even amongst believers. Can you believe it? Anybody? Can you believe it? So he seeks out, I want to be what I came here for was the same purpose as you. We don't seem like it's not going to work that we're going to be in the same community. Maybe they were jealous of him. We don't quite know all the history Um, But he didn't believe some of the things that they believed. They didn't believe some of the things he believed. What was happening is, is that even though they had broken away from England, they were still dictating through the law, through the governors, uh, if you broke commands, biblical commands, that the government could have a right to punish you. And he didn't believe that the government should be involved in punishment based on things that you broke spiritually, that that's between you and God. He didn't say it was right or wrong, but so he decided, I have the same, a similar heart, but we're not going to work together in the same community, and goes and says, Lord, I'm going to find another place. So when he found it, he finally settled there, and it was quite a process, and named it Providence, saying, God did this. And, you know, the point is that when he got there, I'm sure that when he had left England, and now he's there, that he didn't think that his journey would be quite like this. You know, you might think, that's it, I'm going to go, and I'm just going to be so free. I'm going to go to this new land, and we're just going to worship. And then you get there, and it's a lot of things that you didn't expect. So I think when he named it Providence, it was appropriate, because of what he came to was this, this understanding that we all must do as believers, that life is not quite the way that you think it should be. And I think that preachers, when they... Uh, give an altar call should also give a disclosure. Listen, you're going to need to stick with this because the moment you leave, this is what I say to new believers, the moment you leave this church, okay, yes, you said yes and you said a prayer, but the moment you leave this room, 
You're on your way to the car in the parking lot. The devil's going to try to tempt you back, right? And God, though, is never going to leave us, never going to forsake us. The Holy Spirit never abandons us, does he? He doesn't. But I've said this before, and I've said it to people that have wandered away. I've asked them a simple question. I just want you to be honest with me. You said yes to the Lord, and now you're in a wandering place. Okay, they can acknowledge that. And I say to them, try and lie to me and tell me the Holy Spirit didn't convict you immediately. They're always caught off guard. They don't know what to say. Because that's the truth. The thing is, the enemy comes immediately, but so does the Holy Spirit. And that is really what, what life is, is that the enemy has been trying to take you down since the moment you were born. You were literally born in sin, and the Lord redeems us out of sin. And now you're over here in this place of redemption. That's all the enemy's now trying to do, is to get you frustrated, get you flustered, get you into sin, get you in any way, shape, or form, get your eyes off of Christ. As simple as that. To get your eyes back on you, get it back on an issue, you gotta I got to deal with me right now, I just need to love me right now, etc., right? We've heard it all. And the thing is that when we set our eyes on him, it doesn't mean it all goes away immediately, but what we will do is look back and see, we, we can see clearly the Lord's providential hand in our lives. I can testify of that at so many turns, I just say to the Lord, I thank him, and this is not me getting, I'm not bragging whatsoever. Dan can testify he does the same thing, but I thank the Lord every single day. It's like the first thing I do when I go into prayer, I don't ask the Lord for anything, I start thanking him first. It's how I start every single prayer. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in my life. Thank you for the victories, thank you for the miracles, for the restorations, etc., and that doesn't mean that it's easy to pray and say thank you, but I'm thinking of an entire life of right twists and turns and hard times and good times, but the Lord was through it all, and he is with us. Amen. I want you to turn with me uh, in the Bible to the book of Daniel, chapter 3, and I want to just read a story, and I'm going to bring this together. I want to read a story that really says... Write in one story everything that I've just said here. And it's Daniel chapter 3. We'll just start with verse 1. Daniel 3 verse 1 says, That King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Who knows the story, right? So King Nebuchadnezzar puts up a statue of himself, or some sort of a, a beast symbolizing himself, but puts up this big giant statue and says, uh, verse 5, I'm going to play some music, and when you do, just like we do here in church, I'm going to play some music, and you're going to worship this image. Just like we play music and we worship God. The devil's such a copycat, isn't he? Can't even come up with his own stuff. Right? It's like the comedian. You Now with YouTube... It really ruins it for comedians because you see everybody, you know, who stole each other's lines. It's probably easier to travel around before that, right? Like, man, I've heard that line a long, long time ago. De that's the devil. 
The devil, all he can do is steal God's stuff. And this is what this is really a picture of what's happening even in heaven. Our Bible tells us that, right? God is worshipped, it sounds like, second by second throughout all time, if there's such a thing, outside of time. And so he says, verse 6, anyone who refuses to do this will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Verse 10, some troublemakers... They come to him and they say, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, remember that decree you issued? Well, there's a problem. Verse 12, there's some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they pay no attention to you. They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And then when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true that you refuse to serve my gods or go or, or to worship the gold statue I've set up? Verse 15, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? You know, whether you know it or not, that's what the enemy is saying to you every single time you come into an uncomfortable circumstance. The devil whispers lies into your brain. And sometimes, who has ever heard something go, I don't know where that came from. I think that was God. Who's ever, who can testify they think they heard God speak? Who can testify that they are like, I don't know where that came from. I don't think that was God, and I don't think that was me. And sometimes it's very subtle. Sometimes you don't know who said it. Was that me? Was that God? Or was that the devil? And you got to sift through it. You know how you sift through it? You don't just sit there and think, I wonder... You get into your word, and you say, well, it's against God's nature here, or it confirms God's nature there. Okay, it's God's nature, but it's not his nature here. Or it's his nature, it's his nature, his nature, that's him. Right? And we find out, is it some sort of a mixture? Is it some of God, some of me? Is this God, is this the devil, right? But the point is this, and every single circumstance that you go into... There is a choice to worship God and worship Him only. And there is a lie from the enemy that if you try to do it God's way, there's going to be trouble for you. And you know what he does? He makes sure that you're aware of it too. I've said this before, but I've heard many people that have wandered away from the Lord. You know what their excuse is? You know what they say? In fact, there was a guy, he wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Remember that book? Anybody remember that book? Man, that was an inspiration to me as a young teenager. I really, really, like, idolized in, a, in an okay way, but this guy, and I thought, wow, this is amazing. And then, um, I don't know, two, three years ago, something like that, TJ goes, hey, uh, just saw on social media, <laughs> this guy's, like, out in Alaska now. You know what he said? 
I just got bogged. It was just so hard to follow God. I just feel so much freer. He left his family, and he's out by himself in the wilderness, just him in the wilderness now, and he just feels so free. Wow, that's funny. Hmm. I wonder how long that freedom's going to last. Because that's funny. My Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season, but its end is destruction. So you know what the devil does? He throws all his taunts. He puts the pressure on. When you decide to follow God, he's going to put the pressure on you, and you're going to have to make the choice, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Am I going to trust God, or am I going to cower because I want to feel better? I don't want to feel the flames because that's not fun. So I'm going to bow to the idols of this world or the idols of my heart. Maybe in his heart, since he was a very little boy, he just desired being free and being in the wilderness. And then suddenly he's 45 and he feels trapped because he was married and has kids. We hear this story so often, actually. It's becoming a common theme. People just leave and they just want to go be free suddenly. They're not being free, are they? It's a lie from the devil. And here's what it says. He says, I'm going to give you another chance. This is what the devil comes and does. I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give you a chance to do it your way. That's what he does. Gives lots of chances. He doesn't give us one more chance, does he? Just like God gives us a lot of chances, the devil gives us a lot of chances to do things his way too. It says, I'm going to give you another chance, but if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Listen, you want to follow God. Man, this, would be a, this is a great salvation message right here. If I was at, we were doing a big tent meeting, we would have reached out to the community. This is a great message right here. You want to follow God, be prepared to go into the fire. Because that's the truth. The worst thing to do is to be lied to and to think, no, it's, I'm not going to have to face any fire. If you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue from my power. But the Bible says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, just like we do in this church, because we are people of God, aren't we? We are not wavering believers. We are not like James says, that believe this and then believe that, right? We are not like waves of the sea that are wavering. We are people of faith who have put our trust in God. We have decided that no matter what happens, no matter what comes our way, no matter whether it's a mountaintop high and we love those times with God, or it's a valley low like the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I will trust in you. You're going to take care of me. You're going to get me through, and I'm believing in you, period. Amen. So we, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, reply, O Nebuchadnezzar, I like to picture this like he's a little boy sitting in a chair. <laughs> Like, suddenly, they just got big. You know, he's sitting on his throne. But suddenly, they're like, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, you're so cute. You're really cute. I know you think you're big stuff, but we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, I mean, they must have said it's so flippant. It must have just sounded so easy. I don't think they needed to point their finger and have authority here. I think it was like, listen, I'm going to be honest with you, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not too worried about your threats. My life is not on this earth. My flesh is not what I'm here for. I'm not for human gain or fleshly gain. Listen, you do what you need to do. 
we're going to trust God. We don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve, not just some random God, then what God will be able to save you? Well, we're going to let you know right now. The God whom we serve is able to save us. Isn't he? He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And I love verse 18. It sounds anti-faith, but it's really not anti-faith because what they're making clear here is it's not faith in faith, but it's faith in God. That even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Wow. The Bible says, New Testament, do not fear those that can hurt the body, but fear him who can touch the soul, depending on your translation. Don't worry about those on the earth. It's God. That's it. We put our fear in him, right? We're not afraid. That's not what fear of God means. That means that my honor, my respect, my life is submitted to him. And yes, there's going to be many trials on this earth. There are trials right now, Christians around the world. This is not, I'm not preaching history here. You might be dealing with it in a, in a different way here in the U.S. It doesn't mean that your story is lesser than theirs, but there are people in the Middle East and in Asia that are going through physical fires, and they've made the decision. I don't know if Google reads your mind. Sometimes we think it does, right? I had a YouTube video on with like a fireplace burning and some music going, so I definitely wasn't clicking anything to get me somewhere, but an ad came up. Two women who uh, it appears, because I, I didn't have the time to fully look into it, but they were somewhere in the Middle East, and they had been in slavery, had been put in prison for their faith, and they were testifying, though, of the miracles of how the guards said, uh, you know, we want to know your story because we've gotten so many letters about you two and to let you two out that now we're curious. He said the letters filled up a room. <laughs> so I'll have to look some more into them. But the point is that this is present tense. And they were testifying, though, that God was with them there in that prison. Amen. And so we need to know this, that we have faith in God. We do not have faith in our own strength. We do not have faith in our own will. We do not have faith in our ability to understand the word of God. Our faith is in God. Our faith is in him and him alone. And once you have faith in him, then, then the name of Christ becomes power out of your mouth, right? And it could look like you doing it. But it's not you. You've already come to the place, right? Because that's where we see in the New Testament, some guys thought, well, I'll just take faith as a tool and we'll try to work with it. But they hadn't been tried in the fire like Paul. So the enemy says, oh, you want to dabble with faith? You want to try to use it like a tool? And the Bible says he tore them apart, so to speak, and these guys ran out naked. Meanwhile, he said, I know, Paul. I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but I don't know who you are. And the point is that Paul, Jesus, 
had shown a way, and Paul was walking in that way, and he paid a price. So when he said Christ, I mean, heaven opened, and the enemy knew what he was saying. Amen. And we need to do the same thing. If the enemy looks, and every single time something happens, we turn to the world. We get on the internet, get into social media, we get into forums and find out what do people say before we ask the Lord His will. Uh, the enemy's going to watch those things, and then when we point and say in the name of Jesus, it doesn't have the power. Does that mean Jesus doesn't have power? Of course not. It just means that your mouth saying it doesn't have power. You understand? Because the enemy looked at him, and they, he heard the same name of Jesus coming out of their mouth and said, I don't, you know, I, I know who you're saying, but I don't know who you are. But the Bible says here, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage, as we could imagine it would, because of pride, right? The world is filled with pride, and the enemy is filled with pride. And, you know, and, and when you stand up for Christ, who has seen this? Who has said something that you didn't think was that offensive about Jesus? But man, their face contorted with rage, because it's not even, this is not even Nebuchadnezzar we're dealing with. This is the devil. He uses people just like God uses people. If you don't let God use you, the devil's going to use you. Plain and simple. You are a pawn in the devil's hands if you're not in God's hands. And that's the Bible. Jesus said it. He said there's only two fathers. There's the father God and there's the father devil. You're serving one of them. You just don't know. You may not know it yet, but until you decide to serve the father, you've been serving the devil. That's the Bible. So it's not even Nebuchadnezzar. The devil was, con was distorted with rage, and he heated up the—we know the story, the furnace seven times hotter than usual, and he orders them to be thrown in. And as they're being thrown in, the Bible says that even the soldiers that threw them in were burned. They died. It got so hot that even just to get them into the fire, they died just bringing them in. And that's not by accident. That The Lord allowed that— uh, to happen so that he could prove himself in an even greater way. Sometimes we ask God, why, 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 why? And you know what? He doesn't have to answer you. Do you know that? Because I was started to, I, when I was spending time with the Lord to put the sermon together, and yesterday I said, Lord, I said, why did Washington go through so many things? And it wasn't in a why like a questioning God way, but I was just curious. And then I, I thought, you know, the Lord wanted him to know that he knew, 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 that, that it is not my strength. That if I'm going to do this thing, this is God. God, sometimes you get closer to the fire. God allows you to get closer to the fire than you would like. And you're thinking, man, did I do something wrong? Why is this happening? And sometimes it's so that God can make it clear that he has your life, that your life is his, and that he's going to guide you and protect you and work with you and walk with you, but you know that you know that you know that I should have been dead, I should have been here or there, and, and Lord, you supernaturally brought me to this place I'm in. Who can testify? And so sometimes he wants us to realize, so I believe he let the Lord let it get hot. I mean, I think the fi fire's fire. Jimmy just said to me the other day, right, the fire is always hungry. As long as you keep feeding fire, it's eternal. If you give fire wood, it will burn for all of eternity. 
It doesn't need, because all it's got is time. So it doesn't matter how hot or how cold that fire was, you put them in the fire, they were going to die. Just give them more time. But he put it super hot so that it was to really to show that it should have been an instant death because the second miracle is not just that they should have died, but the Bible says they started walking around in there. All of a sudden, they're in the fire and they're having a party. He says, uh, hey, I'm pretty sure there was three guys I threw in there, but I'm looking and seeing a fourth man in the fire. In fact, their clothes are still on, but their ropes are burned off. And the fourth looks like a god, or looks like God. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar, he came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Wait, what? The same Nebuchadnezzar that just moments ago said he was so filled with rage, he literally let the devil who was in him come out of him in rage? Man, are you telling me that my life over here that produces a miracle is powerful enough to make the devil in you bow his knee? Are you telling me that the devil in Nebuchadnezzar bows his knee to the Christ in me? The devil in you to the Christ in me? Because that's exactly what happened. Suddenly, he's their best friend. Servants of the Most High God. Where did he get that idea? Come out, he says. Come here. And they stepped out of the fire as if it was no big deal. Oh, oh wait, what's that? Oh, sorry. Just over here having some iced tea. You want us to come out of the fire? Then the high officers, officials, governors, advisors crowded around them, and they saw that the fire had not touched them. So listen, the Bible says they went in the fire. It was so hot that even the servants who brought them in died. But my Bible says, come on, is your Bible the same as mine? My Bible says they went into the fire. They experienced the fire, but the fire did not touch them. Did you hear me? The Bible says not a hair on their heads, heads were singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Verse 29, therefore I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble because there is no other god who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted them to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Wow. So if your Bible is the same as mine, my Bible says that sometimes... God does not have to answer the why, ever. But sometimes the why has nothing to do with you. 
Sometimes he is trying to produce a miracle to affect an entire nation. And wow, this is, that seems to be a common theme. I keep going in different directions, and the Lord keeps tying it to that same topic. We've been talking about this since May. That your life is to bring God glory. There's struggles. There's all these things along the way we could get stumbled up about. But we need to take the in-between in your brain, which is so hard to do, and you need to somehow put it to the side and say, this circumstance, this time, the details, somehow they don't matter to me because I trust God here, and God's going to be with me here. He's, gonna, he's with me at the beginning. He's with me at the end, and maybe it's uncomfortable during, but I know that I know that I know that he's going to be there during, even though I'm not aware of him sometimes, but I know at the end is an answer, is a miracle, and it's going to cause the people even around my life to say, I wasn't sure, but I can say now, you know God. And not only do you know him, I want to know the God you know, because your life has proven that to me. Amen. God, we just thank you and praise you for this word. I pray you plant it down deep inside of us. Lord, put it in our hearts like good seed and good ground, Lord that this would produce life in us, Lord, and be a tree, Lord, that produces fruit for others to eat from, Lord. We'll be able to testify of what God has done in us, Lord, from this word. In Jesus' name, amen.